Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcasts at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcasts, or it's easier to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from George Galloway's Mother of All Talk Shows, France 24, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We will begin with George Galloway's Mother of All Talk Shows. George spoke with American journalist Chris Hedges about the impact that the German and American tanks will make on the war in Ukraine. Chris says that more weapons will not resolve the devastation in Ukraine, but will serve the U.S. military-industrial complex. He says that endless war has become the primary business of the American empire and that the few politicians who speak out against the war industry are erased like Dennis Kucinich. George and Chris both complain that anyone who tries to oppose the current war will be canceled. George Galloway's mother of all talk shows. He is the one and only Chris Hedges. This feels like a portentous moment, doesn't it? Yeah, and a frightening one. These people don't have any understanding of where they're headed or what they're doing than they did in Afghanistan, Iraq, or anywhere else. It's short-term weapons procurement. Uh, It is uh, this kind of lust to degrade, if they can, the Russian military. I don't know if they still hold out hopes of overthrowing Putin by their own admission. This war is going to be a long uh, and bloody war of attrition. That uh, is quite uh, acceptable, of course, to the arms manufacturers like Raytheon and and uh, Northrop Grumman, all of whom stocks, by the way, have rocketed up 35%. They feasted off of the Afghan war. That war ended and they found another way to uh, essentially pilfer the state of staggering sums of money over 100 a billion dollars has now been uh, directed towards Ukraine uh, in humanitarian and military aid. That's we're we're getting close to double uh, the uh, annual budget of the State Department, which is sixty billion dollars. Endless wars has become the primary business of the American Empire. It's, you know when we are essentially reduced to agreeing with Henry Kissinger as a voice of sanity, uh, you know we're all in trouble. It's been a constant ratcheting up, Patriot missiles, more sophisticated air defense equipment, uh, etc. You know, very sophisticated artillery pieces. That has been the trajectory. And and if this doesn't work, and I don't think it is going to work, then you're right. They they will reach into their basket to get uh, ever more lethal forms of weaponry. And we're already seeing Ukrainian strikes inside Russia. I covered war. I spent 20 years as a war correspondent. I watched how these conflicts have a life of their own. You don't control them. They control 
you. You become essentially their puppet, their pawn. This is true in every war. The fundamental point to remember is that the U.S. has no plan. There is no end. They, they don't, this was also true in Afghanistan and Iraq. The, the, the only goal is to perpetuate it, but they haven't thought about the consequences and they haven't thought about how to terminate the conflict. Indeed, they don't want to terminate the conflict. You talk about buying these weapons. Remember that about 40% at least of the money that is appropriated for Ukraine goes directly to the U.S. arms manufacturers. This is also true when we give foreign aid to Egypt, when we give foreign aid to Israel, $3 billion a year. A, a huge percentage of that is mandated to go towards U.S. weapons manufacturers, and they have to buy their weapons, whether it's the F-16 or anything else. And that's also true with uh, the aid, military aid for Ukraine. It's unchecked, unregulated, unaccountable militarism and military adventurism. Remember, the, the military is responsible, along with the political leadership, for just one military debacle after another, starting with Vietnam, whether it's Iraq, Syria, uh, Afghanistan, or anything else. Nobody's ever held accountable. You know, untold trillions of dollars, I don't know what the final figure, seven trillion. And then, of course, the the suffering on the part of innocents in Iraq, in, in Syria, and Libya, and everywhere else who are, to this day, are still paying the price. And look at Afghanistan. I mean, it's it's horrific. The few brave politicians who get up and speak the truth to the war industry, like Dennis Kucinich, are a race. It was the Democratic Party that he was in the House of Representatives. He didn't vote, never voted for a military appropriation bill, constantly called out the war industry, and the Democratic Party uh, redistrict his district to essentially drive him out of the House, which worked. And then when he ran last year for mayor of Cleveland, they pumped in, we don't know, because it's dark money, but millions upon millions of money to defeat him. We are flirting with total annihilation. Um, it's an extremely dangerous game. Uh, but wh when I mentioned before that it's not thought out, they, the consequences are not thought out. I mean, these are people who created the conflict anyway by expanding NATO up to Russia's borders. When Gorbachev, I was in Eastern Europe in 89, covering the revolutions, Gorbachev wanted to build a military and economic alliance with the United States and Europe. And so did Yeltsin, and people forget, so did Putin at the beginning. But if they didn't turn, Russia wasn't willing to be an enemy, they'd, they'd make Russia an enemy because they couldn't justify the billions upon billions in arms sales to Eastern Europe in these now 14 countries in, in Eastern and Central Europe that have been in, uh, joined to NATO. It's extremely short-sighted. George Kennan, the great Sovietologist, correctly before he died, called the expansion of NATO beyond the borders of a unified Germany the greatest uh, diplomatic blunder in post-Cold War history. Uh, but again, that history is erased. I mean, you bring it up, but the mainstream doesn't bring it up. In the run-up to the Iraq War, I was on mainstream television and radio more or less every single day because the mass media recognized that my point of view was shared by a significant number of people in Britain and uh, they felt a duty, I know it sounds quaint now, uh, to at least give it house room, even if only to try and rubbish it. Uh, but they couldn't ignore it and didn't ignore it. But no one can now appear on mainstream television or radio or get a hearing 
in the press without uh, being assailed and cancelled. This is not a sign of strength on the part of our rulers, is it? It's a sign of weakness. I was very outspoken against the calls to invade Iraq. I'd been the Middle East bureau chief for the New York Times, spent seven years in the Middle East. I was completely blanked out. I could not get on any mainstream. And I was listening to these yahoos who couldn't find Iraq on a map, you know, expound upon how the Ba'athists were going to greet us as liberators and democracy was going to be implanted in Baghdad and spread outwards across the Middle East and the oil revenues were going to pay for reconstruction and endless uh, stuff that was just non-reality based. It was a complete fantasy. You are now going through essentially what uh, those of us who were informed uh, about the Middle East attempted to do uh, to block the, the Bush. Well, it was a bipartisan invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it is a sign of weakness, definitely a sign of weakness. The same journalists, the same yeah. broadcasters, the same pundits, those that are still alive, that, that gave us this tidal wave of guff in the run-up to the Iraq war and were proved entirely wrong. And you and I and our friends were proved entirely right. They're still going with the same guff over the war with Russia. Sure, because they're, they're essentially shills for the war industry. The war industry funds their think tanks. The war industry, in some case, in the United States, in some cases, owns the cable channels on which they appear. Uh, it doesn't matter how many times they're wrong. Look, I've been dealing with these people going back to El Salvador. Robert Kagan, Elliot Abrams were in the Reagan State Department. Their entire job was to discredit everything we as reporters were reporting on the ground. They never go away. It doesn't matter. They were behind the expansion of NATO. Uh, they were uh, the cheerleaders for, of course, the debacles in the Middle East, the fiascos in the Middle East and, and Ukraine. Well, they serve their masters and they're well compensated for it. And they're never removed from their platforms because they are essentially puppets. Uh, they're the pimps of war. Uh, and they never go away. It doesn't matter how wrong they are, how idiotic they are. Um, they're always assured a voice uh, because they dance to the tune that these warmongers play. Chris Hedges, <laughs> thank you very much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. That interview is on George Galloway's Mother of All Talk Shows. George is a 30-year former member of the British Parliament whose interviews used to be on Russia Today for many years until they were shut down by the European Union and the United States. He now posts his shows on YouTube. Search for his channel called George Galloway. I recommend listening to the entire 20-minute interview with Chris Hedges up at George's YouTube channel. Next, France 24. First, some international press reviews on the agreement to send U.S. and German tanks to Ukraine. NGOs in Ukraine are calling for the firing of the defense minister, whose office is accused of signing a contract to overpay $200 million for food for the armed forces. In Peru, after scores of civilians protesting the replacement president have been murdered by police and the military, the OAS, that's the Organization of American States, has given the president full support. 
CELAC, C-E-L-A-C, the Community of Latin American and Caribbean States, is meeting in Argentina, France 24. Those tanks, the US joining Germany and other European allies, sending their tanks to Ukraine to help in the uh, effort against Russia. Leo's joining us and uh, he's been looking at the media reaction to the news, Leo. Yes, this is, of course, the big news of the day, as you say, Stuart. The news that the US are committing tanks uh, to the Ukrainian front lines to help in the fight against Russia, as well as their European allies, at least 31 tanks, it's been reported. President Zelensky said that the world is joining together in their goal, which is the liberation of Ukraine. Just having a look at some of the front pages, the UK, two very similar ones here. You've got the Daily Mail and the Daily Mirror, World United Against Evil, as the mirror see it, and World United in Defending Freedom. Having a look stateside, slightly less jingoistic. Western tanks are coming to Ukraine. Will they be enough? They're just questioning, is that enough? 105 tanks are going to be sent overall. This piece argues in this opinion piece that you need at least five times that to really make a dent. And the timescale, according to the New York Times, it won't be until spring or maybe even as late as summer until those tanks are actually delivered from the US. So they won't be able to help straight away on the front line in places such as Bakhmut. Let's have a look at the German reaction. Of course, they have agreed to send Leopard tanks. Upgrade Oder Game Changer. I don't know what your Germans like, Stuart, but that means upgrade or game changer. They're basically saying what will impact will these tanks have? It's how they're used that will make the difference. And just to finish on some Russian reaction, this is from the paper Vgliad, which in English roughly translates to perspective. They say that this commitment is an omission by the US that they're entering um, into, they wish the strategic defeat upon Russia by sending these tanks, they're crossing a red line. Well, I think some anti-corruption activists in Ukraine would say that Volodymyr Zelensky hasn't gone far enough today because they are calling for the dismissal of none other than the defence minister, Oleksiy Reznikov. That is because of this scandal in the defence ministry, which is accused of signing a contract to pay more than three times the market price for food for the armed forces. Not on the front lines, where you might think that logistical problems would mean that uh, it might be a bit more expensive, uh, but in areas that are not right where the fighting is taking place. And it's a huge amount of money that is involved in this scandal. Uh, the total um, amount in the contract is uh, about 300 million euros and so that would mean 200 million euros approximately would have been stolen if that is indeed why these prices were so grossly inflated. Um, Vitaly Shabunin, head of Ukraine's anti-corruption action center, one of the most prominent NGOs in the country, says that this is clearly a very crude uh, kickback type uh, scandal uh, where uh, obviously this money was going to be stolen. And it is an amount of money that is equivalent to all of the money donated by Ukrainian citizens for um, uh, feeding and supplying the armed forces uh, to one of the main charities that's involved in that. So Ukrainians are, of course, extremely uh, angry about this, if this is true. Anti-corruption activists are convinced that it is true and are saying that Oleksiy Reznikov, having tried to cover it up and deny it and not dismissing anybody for three days since the scandal uh, emerged, should not expect the dismissal of just a deputy minister to be enough. The defence ministry, though, for its part, is continuing to deny the allegations. The company that uh, the contract was signed with, which is 
being described by some as a front company. It's a company that's already been involved in various shady deals and scandals. Nevertheless, this company says it's a mistake and no money changed hands. Activists would retort that, of course, the money didn't change hands because the journalists got wind of the story and it came to light before the money was paid. After weeks of violent anti-government protests that have left scores of people dead, the Organization of American States gave Peru's president its full support. Via teleconference, President Dina Boluarte told the council she'd made moves to hold early elections to end the country's unrest. I've asked Congress to approve the early elections as soon as possible, and I sincerely hope that the friendly countries of the region will support them. Demonstrators have taken to the streets for almost seven weeks calling for Boluarte's removal, who they say is responsible for a heavy-handed crackdown by security forces that's taken dozens of lives. Whilst it began in the country's south, protesters have poured into the capital for mass demonstrations to keep up the pressure. As well as for her resignation, they're demanding a rewritten constitution and immediate elections. Just days ago, the Peruvian leader ruled out resigning, but called for a national truce, something that the people say won't happen. There is no truce. There can be no truce with a murder, nor with Congress acting as dictator. We're going to stay in the streets until she's removed and Congress is thrown out. We want everyone to leave. Peru's Congress is due to hold a final vote to ratify bringing forward the elections from 2026 to 2024. This after the violence erupted after former president Pedro Castillo was ousted last December after illegally attempting to dissolve the legislature and judiciary. A warm welcome in Buenos Aires. The hugs a sign of renewed friendship between South America's leading powers. With the Jair Bolsonaro years over, Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva is forging an alliance with cooperation agreements in various sectors, including energy, education and health. The two presidents, leftist allies, want to create a common currency for trade. We don't know how a common currency between Argentina and Brazil could work. But what we do know is how economies work when they depend on foreign currencies to be able to trade. We know how harmful all that is. Lula aims to make Brazil a driving force throughout South America. However, the transition from the Bolsonaro years is proving a huge challenge. His first visit abroad comes two weeks after Bolsonaro supporters attacked government buildings in Brasilia, and a few days after he sacked his army chief, deemed too close to Bolsonaro. The armed forces do not serve one politician. They are there to protect our country's sovereignty, mainly against external enemies and to ensure that Brazilians have peace of mind. In another sign of the changes for Brazil, Lula this Tuesday is taking part in a meeting of the Community of Latin American and Caribbean States, CELAC, his predecessor pulled Brazil out of the forum shortly after coming to power. Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English.
If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like repeat supporters in Upper Lake and Willits, California, did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. At the CELAC Summit, Colombian President Petro spoke to the integration of projects among member states and to work together like the European Union. Venezuelan President Maduro called on the other nations to join against foreign intervention. There is an international call to release five water defenders in El Salvador. Canada announced it will pay more than $2 billion Canadian dollars to settle a lawsuit over indigenous residential schools. Large protests against Netanyahu and Israel continue. Radio Havana, Cuba. On Tuesday, Gustavo Petro, the president of Colombia, proposed to the member countries of the Community of Latin American and Caribbean States, or CELAC, that they establish integration on the basis of concrete projects. During his speech at the Seventh Summit, Petro assured that CELAC can be the definitive space for Latin American integration, quote, if we give it the binding power so that what is done and said and agreed upon becomes reality. The Colombian head of state confirmed that there is a great distance between the rhetoric of Latin American integration and reality and gave us an example that the region did not know how to face the COVID-19 pandemic together. He also urged his colleagues to create strategies to improve communication between nations. In his opinion, Latin American and the Caribbean can take the experience of the European Union, which integrates as a bloc and uses its own centrifugal forces within its diversity to achieve this unity. Quote, that experience should be ours. Latin American integration has centripetal forces that take us out of our own environment and which are logical and must be understood. Mexico undoubtedly has to talk to the United States and Canada in the same North American space in its own complexity. Brazil, in its power of its own economy, must talk with China, South Africa and India to ensure that the world does not become unipolar. The President of Venezuela, Nicolás Maduro, issued a call from Caracas to the heads of state participating in the CELAC summit, calling on nations to join forces against foreign intervention, especially that coming from the United States. With the words, let us unite our voice for sovereignty and independence, President Maduro called on CELAC members to demand the end of interventionism against free countries of the continent. During his speech, the Venezuelan head of state stressed that, quote, it is imperative that we raise a single voice and that Latin America and the Caribbean tell the United States of America no more coups, no more sanctions against free and sovereign countries. Noting that there are many tasks in the fields of politics linked to the defense of Latin America and the Caribbean as an independent territory, the President reiterated the need to join forces and efforts to reject forces or powers outside of the region. He explained that amongst the expressions of U.S. interventionism in Latin America and the Caribbean are maneuvers to destabilize 
civilized society, as well as attempts to fuel coups d'etat and other assaults on power. Quote, the great interventionism to threaten countries militarily, the greatest interventionism as they've done with Venezuela, as they've done with Cuba for 60 years, and with Nicaragua, to impose unilateral, illegal, and immoral coercive measures, to impose criminal sanctions, as they have imposed on the people of Venezuela, to try to lead us to a collapse, to an implosion of our society. In relation to the situation in Venezuela, President Maduro pointed out that as a result of the more than 920 illegal sanctions imposed on the economy, the South American nation registered the loss of 99% of its oil revenues, going from $56 billion in direct revenues to $700 million. Rights advocates from around the world are demanding El Salvador's government release five water defenders who were detained earlier this month on charges denounced as politically motivated. The five water defenders were instrumental in pressuring the Salvadoran legislature to issue a 2017 ban on metal mining to protect the country's rivers and water sources. They're accused of murdering an alleged military informant over three decades ago while El Salvador was in the midst of a brutal war. The protests come as the government of Salvadorian president Naib Bukele is reportedly considering reversing the metal mining ban. In Canada, the government has announced that it will pay more than two billion Canadian dollars to hundreds of indigenous communities to settle a lawsuit seeking compensation for the loss of language and culture caused by residential schools. The class action lawsuit by 325 indigenous groups ended with the settlement of 2.8 billion Canadian dollars, that 2.1 billion US dollars, and it will be placed in a trust fund independent of the government. It will be used to quote revitalize indigenous education, culture and language and to support survivors in healing and reconnecting with their heritage. The precise terms for dispersing the $2.1 billion are yet to be approved by the federal court. The Canadian government boarded about 150,000 children into 139 residential schools from the late 1800s to the 1900s. The institutions were mostly run by the Catholic Church, and during that time their indigenous children were cut off from their families, language and culture. Many children were also physically and sexually abused, with thousands believed to have died of disease, malnutrition or neglect. Gary Festuk, an indigenous leader and one of the plaintiffs in the suit, claimed a statement released on Saturday, quote, It has taken Canada far too long to own up to its history, own up to the genocide it committed and recognize the collective harm caused to our nations by residential schools. It is time that Canada not only recognizes this harm, but helps undo it by walking with us. This settlement is a good first step. In Israel, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has removed a top minister following an order last week by the Supreme Court which ruled the far-right Arie Deri was unfit for office due to his criminal convictions. Netanyahu's compliance with the Supreme Court order comes even as his extremist new coalition seeks to disempower the judiciary. An estimated 100,000 people took to the streets of Tel Aviv over the weekend to protest the new government. Avi Chimi, chair of the Israeli Bar Association, told reporters, quote, We are shouting against a coup d'etat. I call upon the nation. They want to turn us into a dictatorship. They want to destroy the democracy. They want to destroy the judicial authority. There is no democratic country without a judicial authority.
Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. There's no podcast up there. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, radiohc.cu, you can stream the English version at noon on Monday through Friday, Pacific Standard Time. All the times I've announced are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.